It is good to be back with all of you, and I look forward to being here more often in the uh, coming weeks. I am delighted to be the Gap Pastor with all of you, and so thanks for having me and inviting me to be here with all of you. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Again, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And as before I get started, my lovely children decided to share a head cold with me, so uh, forgive me if my voice goes in and out. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mmm, delicious. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if all of you are like me, but I have spent these past two weeks getting ready. It started as soon as Thanksgiving dinner was cleaned up and the dishes were put away. Out came all of our Christmas boxes and more than I care to admit. First, I worked on the outdoor decorations because the weather was nice and I wanted to get it up before it got cold. Then the Christmas trees. Next, I strung all the lights. Most of them didn't work, so I had to restring them again. And then came the Christmas village, which is my children's favorite. The town scene is over here. The barn and the house are over there. Everything had its place. And then I hung the garland, and then it fell, and then I hung the garland again. Wrapped it around the banister of our stairs. And finally, everyone else decided they wanted to participate. So with the whole family, the ornaments, each one finding a place on the tree. 
each one reminding us of funny stories of where they came from, who gave them to us, or just particular childhood memories of when they made them or when my wife and I were given them as we were children. Taking the time to tell them again and again to each other, laughing and giggling, finding the photo frame of my youngest with a scowl on her face because she wouldn't smile for Christmas. All those good things that make up the holidays together. After the ornaments were all hung and those boxes were put away, we placed our Advent wreath on the dining room table next to one of our creche scenes, and we settled in for dinner. The season of Advent is well upon us, a time when we remember the rich story of God's people that led to a simple baby born in a manger and the good news of a Savior. Advent is our time to get ready, to prepare for Christ's coming yet again, and to remind ourselves of what this time of year is really all about. When my children were little, they're all teenagers now, we would end our Advent Sundays at the dinner table telling the story of Christmas with the characters of the kids' favorite crash scene, our Fisher-Price Little People's Nativity Set. The angel Gabriel, the shepherds, the sheep, Mary and Joseph, the barn, the manger, the wise men, and the camels and the donkey. There was peace as we would light the Advent candles together and we each would contribute what they could remember and what together we could remember of the Christmas story. It was a wonderful way to wrap up our Sundays and to root them in what Christmas was really all about. But you know who is never mentioned around our dining room tables during those childhood retellings of the nativity? John the Baptist. There's a good reason. You just don't find them in our nativity scenes, do we? But it's important to remember that John the Baptist is a crucial part of the story. We do not get to Christmas We do not get to the birth of Jesus without John the Baptist being part of the story. Every year, as we have all these good memories of hanging the greenery and putting up the decorations here at church, we are greeted with John the Baptist. This man who obviously had no taste in clothing, let alone any decent taste buds. A man who, instead of singing songs of great joy, comes screeching about repentance and preaching that the kingdom is drawing near. For John, the coming of the Lord is more than just a call to celebrate a Savior. It is a call to shift our lives in a way that allows us to live in the new kingdom that God is preparing. John preaches a message of repentance. It is a call to change, not just a subtle recalculation of what we've been doing, but a complete U-turn. We are called to turn around. Repent literally means 
turn around. John the Baptist was an unusual man, to say the least. He lived in the wilderness, and his whole demeanor was affected by it. The clothing he wore, the food he ate, all were hallmarks of wilderness living. A notion that is probably very foreign to most of us living today. Or at least those of us who are accustomed to living a more urban or city life. But John, Matthew tells us, set himself up in the deserts of Judea. John calls the people away from the holy city toward the wilderness. He calls the people away from the temple rooted in Jerusalem out into the wilderness, a place of danger and testing, but also a place where Israel was formed, where throughout their early days, God's provision and care was demonstrated each and every day. In the wilderness, the people grew ready. They grew ready for God's promises. In the wilderness, away from the trappings of human traditions and power, we may see and hear God's call more clearly. John is calling the people to the wilderness in order to prepare for the coming of the one who has been promised. It is hard, I think, to imagine the wilderness nowadays. Almost anywhere you go, you hear a cell phone or see the light of the screen as someone's trying to take a picture or see the bright lights of a city burning somewhere in the distance. My son is an avid star watcher and has a telescope and begrudges that he cannot see the stars he wants to see unless we drive way out to Giaga because of light pollution. It's everywhere. It's hard to imagine true wilderness. But I wonder if we don't know a little bit more about wilderness than we think. Sometimes wilderness is more than just a location. Sometimes it's a phase of life. Sometimes it's created by circumstances that we go through. Experiences that happen to us or with us or to those around us. Those times when we feel like we are walking unfriendly paths. Those times when we don't feel like we can find a community who gets us or understands us. Those times when we feel like the groans of loneliness will overwhelm our lives. When grief washes over us because of a death of a loved one or a change in a relationship, and our parched souls cry out for the refreshing waters of love and peace. Most of us get deeply uncomfortable either out in the wilderness of a location or in those times of our life when we feel like we're in the wilderness, all alone, 
and everything's changing. We should not be afraid of time spent in the wilderness. Time spent when we don't know what to expect next. Because this time, this time can lead to transformational encounters with God's loving presence. The prophet Hosea speaks of the wilderness as a place where God speaks tenderly to the people and brings them hope. God views the wilderness as a time when God has a chance to break into our lives and help us to experience God in new and powerful ways. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not comfortable or peaceful, and it can feel alienating to be in times of wilderness. But the invitation of John in the gospel this morning and of our lives is that God is there in the wilderness with us. That God has an opportunity to break through those things that we cling to in new ways and help us to experience the grace and peace of God's love surrounding us and filling us. And the people did not go out to the wilderness by themselves. John says, they came. So chances are, when we're in the wilderness, we are not alone. We are surrounded by God's people. And God is moving and working in and through us to experience that grace of community that can come when we allow others to offer love and peace when we need it most. While John's ministry in the wilderness invited repentance and the forgiveness of sins, he also confronted those who struggled to see a need to repent. He called the Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of vipers. The Pharisees and Sadducees, these were people who were respected. These were people who were looked up to because of their faithfulness, their piety, also because of their wealth and their political connections. John is reminding us that repentance is sometimes harder for those more deeply invested in a comfortable, invested in or more comfortable with the current order of things. By calling them a brood of vipers, he reminds us that our prestigious pedigrees are not enough, that our piety is not enough, our family heritage we've been here forever, is not enough. It is not enough to ensure us a place in the reign of God because God is capable of raising up children to Abraham from the very stones at our feet. Even though John may appear to be a radical, fiery prophet, his message of repentance, his challenge to those who don't want to let go of the way things are, his invitation to us to come to the wilderness is really about asking 
us to prepare for God's coming. John is demonstrating that God's love is not a platitude, but is actually a deep and abiding love. A love that extends to us even when we are at our worst points in time and facing in the totally wrong direction. It is in those moments that God's love is the most important, reminding us to look for the goodness, to let go of what is so that we can be ready for what is to come. So often we hear cries of repent as a message of judgment that should be bring about guilty feelings. But John's message is not about guilt-induced changes of heart. John's message reminds us that God cares for us deeply and that God's love isn't contingent on our good behavior. In fact, that's the central point of Christ's coming into the world to show us that God's love firsthand is in and amongst the messiness of our unruly, everyday lives. John's call from the wilderness is a passionate plea for peacemaking. Peace with God. Peace within our hearts. Peace with one another. And if you look back at the lesson from Isaiah this morning, all of those are parts of Isaiah's great vision and the hope that is born on Christmas morning. The path of repentance that John is calling us to clears our vision so that we might be able to recognize those moments when the nearness of God's presence touches our lives so that we might respond and bear fruit. John calls us to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Repentance is not something we work at in response to guilt. Repentance is something that we work at in response to the grace of God that is so active and present in our midst. Because the one who was to come to baptize us with spirit and fire was indeed born. Born in such a way to challenge the powers of the world. John was 100% correct. He might have ate locusts, but he was right. One more powerful than him did come. And the fire of that infant's love and grace swept over all of those around him and changed, transformed their lives and their hearts. That love and that fire of God's grace continues to burn within us burning away the chaff, burning away the things that don't matter, so that what lies at the heart is the grace and love of God that claims us and redeems us and sends us out into the world. We are able to repent because we know a deeper and more powerful love has come near, a love that relaxed our grip on the steering wheel of control, a love that allows the grip of grace 
to hold us in God's presence and guide us to act in the world for peace and justice and righteousness. This grace calls us to help bring about the glorious vision of the prophet Isaiah where the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. John proclaims what is true, that the kingdom of God is near. Will you join him in the wilderness? Will you embrace the discomfort of letting go so that we can fully appreciate the nearness of the love of God that burns so brightly this morning? Amen.